Okay, this is Acts 20, 17 through 38. Now from Miletus, he, the Apostle Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the word of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed for them all. There was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So says the Lord. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, man. So Vanderworkers, everybody, we are so blessed to know you and your family, and we celebrate with you. And, uh, and just this, this significant anniversary of this addition to your family. What a, what a joy Daisy is. Additionally, um, I didn't mention it last Sunday because usually on Sunday mornings I'm a space case and, and I have to talk. Um, what I failed to talk about last week was a while ago, we brought uh, the Riley family on stage uh, with us, and we prayed for them, that God would watch over them and care for them And as they, they moved out of state. And last week, they showed up back to church because they moved back. So give them a hand, everybody. We are so stoked to see you. We love you. So glad that you're back. And glad that God answered our prayers to watch over you and to bless you. So great. We're in a teaching series called Back to Our Roots. We're looking at the first churches that popped up all throughout uh, the Roman Empire in different cities. 
And then these churches, God worked through them to change the world. These churches help us see what Christ-centered community on mission looks like. And we want to learn from them. We want to learn the good and the bad. And then for us to wrestle with questions, God, what kind of church are you shaping us to be? How can we be more faithful in the mission that you have given to us, more faithful in bringing you glory and and loving our neighbors? Today, we're going to be looking uh, at this church in Ephesus by by seeing how Paul trained the leaders of this church, how, how he discipled them. Now, I think it's really easy for all of us to forget or not take seriously Jesus' parting words before he ascended when he told all of us to go and make disciples of all the nations. It wasn't the great, it's called the great what? The great commission. It's not the great suggestion. This is something God's called us to do, commissioned us to do, commanded us to do. Jesus commissioned each of us to be disciples who make disciples. And Jesus shows us in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we see Jesus doing that. He shows us how he did that. And then Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, follows Jesus' lead. And then he tells us to follow him as he follows Jesus. So, if you and I are going to be faithful followers of Christ... We need to know what faithful discipleship looks like. Training that that changes lives because it it changes hearts. Training that, that blesses you and then blesses the people around you. Now, now here's here's what happens, I think, with a lot of church people. At one point or another. And it's epidemic, I think, in the United States anyway, where, where Christianity gets treated like, like a hobby or a social club or nothing more than a moral code. That is lame. It's beyond lame. And that we, we learn how lame it is, when, uh, what, how lame that kind of religion is when we get clobbered with temptation and hard times. Because it doesn't hold up. It fails us and the people around us because it never changed our heart. Some of you here, um, you may be trying to figure out what this whole Christianity deal is about. In fact, you might be here in spite of the fact that, that you're skeptical about it all. You're not sure if it's helpful or hurtful. And I want to suggest that there's, there's possibly a chance that what you've heard about Christianity so far has been from people who claim to be Christians, but who were actually embraced a destructful, prideful, counterfeit Christianity. Like, like the Flanders kid living next to Bart Simpson who said, we're going to church to learn how to be judgmental. Here's my hope, okay? Here's my heart. It it, it is my prayer for skeptics here to feel welcome enough here so that they hang out long enough with us here so that they learn enough here to identify counterfeit Christianity by seeing the truth and love of Christ 
and how life-giving it really is. That's my heart. That's my prayer. That's my desire. That's not just my job. It's our job. That's the context of faithful discipleship. So today, we're going to look at Paul's parting words to the church in the city of Ephesus, to, to the leaders of that church, people that, that Paul spent three years with, faithfully discipling them by teaching them and caring for them. In Paul's parting words, we see three critical elements involved with faithful discipleship. And if you're taking notes using the handout in your bulletin, first, faithful discipleship requires vital truth. In this little speech in the text that, that um, the Vanderworkers read for us, Paul gives uh, this, this little speech to the leaders and, and he begs them to never forget the vital truth that he's been teaching to them. And then he warns them that wolves in sheep's clothing will infiltrate them and twist the truth for their own selfish reasons and destroy people's lives. Paul was passionate about the truth. And for good reason. I'll give you three. First of all, vital truth is it's absolutely crucial. In verse, in verse 20 and 27, Paul says, I've been declaring to you the whole counsel of God. In verse 25, I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom. So Paul believes that this, is, this vital truth is, is, deserves this constant declaration and this constant proclamation because it is essential for your life and it is essential for your relationships. I, I know that there are so many people um, who, who treat Christianity, the, the attitude is basically, um, you know, I really don't care if Christianity is true or not, just as long as it works, it's just as long as it gives me, you know, the life I want. I'll kind of pick and choose what I want to believe about God because, you know, you got to do what works for you. That religion won't work for anybody. Okay, so imagine, imagine that I just met you for the very first time. And I say, it's nice to meet you. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? And so you do. And when you're done, I say, you know what? I don't think that's who you are at all. Let me tell you who I think you should be. And what, how would that make you feel? You would think, this guy doesn't really want to know me at all. He doesn't really care about me at all. He's just going to decide who I'm supposed to be? Forget that guy. And you should. If truth is something that you just make up, you won't know who you are, let alone who God is. You won't know what your life is supposed to be all about. And you'll end up making a God in your own image only to ditch it later because it was powerless and, and joyless and ultimately useless. So vital truth is, is crucial. And secondly, it's challenging. Verses 20 and 27, Paul says, I did not shrink from telling you, from declaring to you the vital truth about God. 
Now, here's the temptation for, for many teachers of, of God's truth. That the temptation is, is for them to just tell us what we want to hear. But how in the world is that going to help us? Look, my doctor, I'm sure, would not want to tell me that I have cancer. I don't want him to tell me that I have cancer either. But if I do, I don't want him to shrink from telling me the truth. I want him to, to boldly tell me, the, to urgently tell me the truth so that I can receive the, the, the healing treatment that I need. God's word at times will challenge you. And it might be truth that, that you, you might not want to, to hear at first, but it is truth that we all need to hear so that we can receive healing. If we only accept what we like to hear and, and reject what challenges us, again, we end up making a false God that is powerless and will never bring us any healing at all. So my encouragement to you when it comes to the tough teachings or, or, the, or maybe the, the, the challenging truths in, in the Scripture is to embrace those challenging truths, wrestle with those challenging truths, and think through those challenging truths. It will lead you to healing. And then the third thing I want to say about this is that this vital truth of God applies to everyone and everything. In verse 22, uh, Paul tells us that, that he was testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This, this vital truth started with the Jews, but then it spread throughout the world. It spread throughout the, the Middle East and then and Europe and on here to America. And at one point, Christianity was considered a, a white man's religion. But now most of Europe and America have grown cold to it. But what we have been seeing lately is that God's vital truth has been exploding all throughout the continent of Africa and Asia and South America. Countless people who are not white, who are not American, they are the ones who are showing us the power of God's vital truth, truth and, and we need to be learning from them. God's vital truth is for all types of people regardless of temperament, regardless of economic status, regardless of social status, regardless of race, it is for everyone. And it applies to everything. In verse 20 he says, I've been teaching you in public and from house to house. It applies to the public sphere and the private sphere, all aspects of life. You know, I, I've, I've met people who start, uh, who show up at church and then duck out of church for, for one reason or another. Maybe um, they, they show up at church because uh, uh, an important relationship with, with somebody that they love fell apart. And so they said, maybe I should go to church and, and they get some support. But then they find somebody new and then they duck out. What, what they don't realize it's just a matter of time before some other problem in some other part of their life shows up. What they don't realize is that they need vital truth for every area of their life. Vital truth is, is holistic. 
It changes everything and everyone. See, when, when vital truth transforms your, your heart, not just your behavior, it needs to start in the heart. When that truth transforms your heart, it will then change the way that you live if it's real. And the more people who have their lives transformed, the more the world will be transformed. And it's a totally different way to live. The world says, don't be weak, be strong. Don't be weak. You don't want to be weak. Because the weak serve the strong. Well, King Jesus teaches us that the strong are here to serve the weak. The world says, you've got to look out for yourself. And one of the ways you look out for yourself is maybe have a healthy suspicion of, of doing justice and mercy for people. Don't want to be taken advantage of. Did you understand that? Or did I kind of mumble that? You don't want to be taken advantage of, is what I would say. King Jesus teaches us to love others by pursuing justice and mercy for them. With a sense of urgency. God's truth renews everything. His truth renews our lives. His truth renews our church. His truth renews our, our community. And, and, and he renews us spiritually, he renews us socially, he, he renews us culturally. Therefore, his truth must be central to our lives and our church. We can't just have this religious compartment on, on the side that we participate in, probably, maybe if I feel like it on Sunday morning every now and then. It's got to be central to who we are to our identity. Faithful discipleship requires vital truth that changes hearts and life and the world. Next. It requires genuine love. Verse 19. Look what Paul says. He says, I've lived among you the whole time serving the Lord with tears, he says. And in verse 31, I did not cease night or day admonishing every one of you with tears. Now this is important and I'll tell you why. In my experience and what I've seen, people who prioritize truth, who champion truth, often struggle with the temptation of being heavy-handed, condemning, patronizing, cold, abrasive, self-righteous. And if you are rolling your eyes at that right now or saying, oh, brother, that means I'm talking to you. When Paul writes his letter to this church in Ephesus, a book in God's Word we call Ephesians, Paul teaches us that truth and love are important as he charges us to speak the truth in love. The purpose of the truth is to lovingly heal people, not hatefully humiliate people. To bring them healing by bringing them to God, which glorifies God. We rob God of glory otherwise. So many people who call themselves Christians mess this up all the time 
and it absolutely destroys our witness. Why would anybody want to hear what we have to say? If it's so obvious that we love ourselves more than them. It's more important that we're amused. It's more important that we feel superior. I'm a jerk for Jesus. God didn't call us to that. I'm not saying, I'm not saying hide the truth or obscure the truth. That's what I'm saying. You love people so that they receive the truth. The truth is too important to beat people over the head with it. You understand what I'm saying? Paul taught truth boldly and passionately because that truth that he was proclaiming and declaring led him to love others. So, so much so that it brought him to tears. He could not hide his love for people. He could not hide his love for their souls and for their lives in the here and now. Paul was the real deal, and people could see that, and so they listened to him. I mean, when he traveled and taught the good news from city to city, it, it, it was only natural for people to ask, can we trust you? Especially because before he met Jesus, he had followers of Jesus killed. So they're wondering if he's the real deal or not, or if this is a setup. Paul met Jesus and when it was transformed. His whole view of God and the world and life and meaning and purpose was radically transformed by the renewing of his mind and that renewed his heart and changed the way that he treated other people completely. And he was vulnerable. And, and, and the reason he could be vulnerable was because he was pro- the, the, the truth he was proclaiming was strong enough that he didn't feel the, the pressure to impress people with how strong he supposedly was. He was open with his heart. He was open with his life. He let people in. He was willing to be weak. He was approachable. He was unassuming. He wasn't concerned with fabricating an image. His love for God, his love for truth, and his love for others was just way too strong. See, if, if I just have truthful teaching without loving compassion, I am not a good and faithful witness for the truth. I am a destructive and faithless witness that repels people from the truth and from Jesus Christ. And it's tempting to kind of brashly beat people over the head with the truth because, you know, those guys always end up collecting cheerleaders that go, yeah, you tell them, man. Put them in their place. You destroyed them. That's just worldliness right there. It's faithless. You love yourself more. More than God. More than others. And even more than the hard truth that you're supposedly so boldly proclaiming. You're just using the truth for your, for your own purposes. On the other hand, if I act compassionately towards people, but I withhold the truth, and I don't confidently uh, share that, that with you, that is not loving either. It is unloving. 
like a doctor who won't tell you how to be healed. We see what kind of impact Paul had on people when he spoke the truth in love in verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They, they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied, accompanied him to the ship. They wanted to be with him until the last possible moment. The fruit of speaking the truth in love are relationships that are not shallow. They're relationships that are not artificial or, or, or superficial or just for your own amusement or to satisfy some interest you might have. The fruit of speaking the truth in love are impactful and meaningful relationships and they point people to the most important relationship they can possibly have a life-changing relationship with King Jesus. So I've been talking a lot about this truth, this vital truth that changes hearts and lives in the world. What is it? What could be so powerful? What is this power? It is, put simply, gospel power. Being faithful disciples who make faithful disciples with truth, with the truth and love of God, it is a result of gospel power. Gospel, the word gospel simply means good news. Good news about who Jesus is and what he has done for you out of, out of sheer grace. It is, it is so powerful that it leads us to live like Jesus out of, out of gratitude and out of appreciation, out of love and, and out of loyalty, throwing our, our, our heart and souls into it more than, than, than just kind of guilt tripping could ever do. You know, numerous scholars point out the, the striking parallels and connections between Paul's ministry and Jesus's. More and more, Paul's ministry began to reflect Jesus's ministry. We see in our text that, that Paul was constrained by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem knowing that, that, that suffering and trials awaited him there. In Luke 9.51, we read that Jesus set his face like flint toward Jerusalem, meaning he was determined knowing that it would lead him to the cross. In our text, Paul is weeping because he would never see his dear friends again in this life. And in John 11, Jesus wept when his good friend Lazarus died, even though he knew Lazarus was going to be raised again. Paul shared healing truth with tears. And in Luke 19, Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem who needed healing truth, but rejected it by rejecting him. Paul became more and more exposed and vulnerable in his ministry. And at the cross, we see the ultimate vulnerability. Jesus dying on the cross, exposed and completely naked. You know, in our life, in our world here and now, especially in our culture, we, here's how we are shaped. So much of it is shaped by 
shaming other people and avoiding being shamed by other people. You just got to look through social media to see how true that is. But that's how much so much of our life is shaped. It's through shame. And so we withhold love. And we don't tell the truth because we don't want to be rejected. And we don't get involved in the lives of others, not in a genuine, real sacrificial way. We don't want to put our time and resources at risk because if we did that, we would be putting our lives at risk. We're guarded with who we really are. We just put up a front. So many people feel like they have to do that to show up to church. That is counter-gospel. That is counter-Christianity. That's the power of, the destructive power of shame. Some of you have experienced deep shame. Maybe you're experiencing it right now, or maybe recently, and just hearing the words come out of my mouth right now, you're thinking of that time, or that season. Jesus knows all about shame. You know, the crucifixion was not just torture that brings death. It was torture that also brought shame. You were stripped naked completely, beaten with whips, and paraded in front of everyone to your cross. And there you were put on display for days while other people ridiculed you while you suffered and until you died. At the cross, Jesus died a shameful death to cover your shame, to cover my shame. He took the shame of our sin and the punishment of our sin upon, upon himself. He, he absorbed the justice of, of God for us so, so, that we, so that we wouldn't. I mean, he did that for you. He did that for me. So many people have this idea, either consciously or subconsciously, that, 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 that Christianity is about shaming people in order to control them for whatever reason. That is not Christianity. Christianity is about Jesus taking our shame and liberating us, giving us freedom. And, and by his grace, he clothes us in his beautiful, perfect Righteousness. No more shame. This is the good news that Paul taught so passionately. This is the truth and love that, that we need. This is the, the truth and love that is the power of God that, that saves us. This is the truth and love that, that transforms us to become more like Jesus. This is the truth and love that will lead us to speak the truth in love. To be disciples who make disciples. 
with gentleness and respect. D.A. Carson says that the gospel is good news, not good advice. So, so much teaching and preaching and, and books and articles are all about what you better do to be accepted by God or to remain accepted by God. That is counterfeit Christianity from the pit of hell. And I'm not over-exaggerating when I say that. I'm not being hyperbolic. If the evil one can get you to get you hooked on a counterfeit, that's one less, one less child of God he has to worry about. The gospel is a message about what God has done to save you. It is a message of grace, and that's exactly what Paul calls it in verse 24. The gospel is the grace of God, or the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 32, the word of his grace. Man-made religion, man-centered religion says, here's a strong God for strong people. But the gospel says that our strong God chose to become weak to die for us, to save us, and then to rise again for us. There is no greater power than that. God's grace is what makes the gospel beautiful. And when we see that he gave us grace through great sacrifice on the cross, you know what that will do for us? It will compel us to share God's grace with other people. In word and deed. And we'll become disciples who, who make disciples and will be filled with joy and filled with compassion and, and will mourn with those who mourn, but not as those who have no hope. And we'll cry out for justice for those who have suffered injustice and we'll celebrate renewal and evidences of God's grace. And we will weep when our friends and family leave and, and pass away, but we will also look forward to a great reunion celebration with all those who have been saved by God's grace through faith. So, what do you do with that? Where do you start? Man, Matt really kind of laid it down. He got all sweaty and slurred his words and spit and was all passionate and waved his arms all, all over the place. Said a few things about the gospel. Let's go get a burrito. What, uh, what can we do in response to this practically so that we can be faithful disciples who make disciples? I'll give you just one suggestion. It's not the only one, but I'm just going to give you one. I want to encourage you, if you want to take this seriously, um, to find out what it is that you can do and take seriously this one suggestion. Sign up on a connection card and ask to join a gospel DNA group. That's it. That's the only suggestion I'm going to give you today. Sign up on the card. Join a Gospel DNA group. Gospel DNA groups are three men, three women, who get together, who build each other up in faith, in the Gospel. People who can share their struggles with each other and, build, and, and remind each other of who they are in Jesus 
so that their faith becomes real to them and not just something that they do for, because they were raised in it or just going through the, the, the motions. And, and you will create the best brothers and the best sisters, relationships that, will, that you will carry with you into the next life. Maybe you don't know how to write. What if you can't write and sign up? What do you do? Charity is in the back. She's waving. Everybody stare at Charity. Charity is the DNA coordinator. Talk to her, and she'll get you connected. I mean, it is one of the most fruitful things that we do. So please, um, think about it, pray about it, but don't think about it and pray about it so long that you forget what you were doing. All right? So talk about leading people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family in this life and the next. That is rich, man. Sheldon Van Auken was mentored by C.S. Lewis, the great C.S. Lewis. He, uh, if you don't know C.S. Lewis, he wrote Chronicles of Narnia, many other books, pretty intellectual books as well, not just fiction. And this Sheldon Van Auken wrote a book called Severe Mercy. And in his book, he talks about um, his last lunch with C.S. Lewis in a pub in London. They were sharing a meal together. They discussed the, the nature of life after death over a couple of pints. And when they were done, they, they walked out of the pub. And as they were about to go their separate ways, C.S. Lewis said to him, We'll meet again, like in this life or the next. C.S. Lewis walked across the street, and once he got to the other side with, with a roar of passing cars between them, C.S. Lewis turned back with his huge grin on his face, and he shouted to his friend, Besides, Christians never say goodbye. One day, all who are Jesus's We'll see each other again. More importantly than seeing the friends again that we made in this life, more importantly, we will see the friend of sinners. A friend of sinners like me. We will see Jesus because of the tears shed at Calvary. And tears of sorrow will be transformed into tears of joy. Jürgen Moltmann said, God weeps with us so that one day we can laugh with him. I'll close with this passage near the end of the Bible from the Apostle John's great vision of God where he says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Paul believed this. And he wants us to believe it too. 
so that we will have a sense of urgency and joy about being faithful disciples who make disciples for the glory of God. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me?